Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. And once again, happy marriage. <laughs> so good to um, see everybody here uh, today. And um, I hope that everybody has a little bit of brightness back in your eyes, even as uh, King David, um, not King David, but Jonathan dipped his staff in the honey and then his eyes brightened and it was once again, he was strengthened to do the will of the Lord. I thank you for all of your participation this past week in consecration of various sorts. Um, my name is Roland. I'm, I'm pleased to be able to share the word of God with you today. And um, I do want to also say that I know I don't always remember um, everybody's uh, birthday, but I do want to say this past week was a very special birthday. It was our very own Cole Parlier's birthday this past week. Yes, 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 yes. So please love on him, like, you know, take him out to eat all that good stuff. It's, 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 he's an amazing gift to this house, and we want to treat him that way. And so um, just celebrate him as uh, we continue to do so. But anyway, what we um, want to also do is just jump into uh, the Word today, because if you uh, were able this past week to participate, um, um, whether it be in fasting or in consecration of uh, prayer and time, um, then what we want to do is uh, talk about today the after effects of that. Um, it's one thing to ramp up and prep for something like that, but thank you so much. But um, part of what we want to do is, as Jason was talking about, um, have an expectation all the year for God to do great things, not just during that week of prayer and fasting, um, but in the resulting time. What happens after we have a time of consecration? And additionally, not just having a time of consecration through past, uh, fasting and prayer um, one week out of the year, but understanding that it is a tool that God's giving us all throughout the year. It is a tool way of relating with him all throughout the year that we have uh, to actually grow in our faith, to actually grow in our ability to walk with God, connect with God, and see him um, move on our behalf. And what we want to do is sort of just talk today about two things, um, just perspective, getting a biblical perspective of what it is that we encountered, and then number two, having perseverance after the fact, after the time of consecration in that which we're expecting of him. So what we are going to do today is go into the Bible and actually look at one of the many examples, one of the many examples that God gives us of fasting and prayer, and then what happened as a result of that. But what we want to do is actually have a biblical perspective of what to expect as we do these things in our life today, okay? It's uh, very important because what we don't want to do is actually just have a hype show. You understand what I mean by a hype show? Um, I think that uh, in times past, in terms of fasting and prayer, um, I had times that I was praying for specific individual things for breakthrough. Anybody ever done that before? It's sort of like you humbled yourself before God and were like, God, I'm believing for this personal breakthrough in my life, whether it be um, breakthrough in physical health, whether it be breakthrough in a relationship, breakthrough um, that had to do with overcoming a sin habit or issue. And I'm not even talking about a sin habit or issue in terms of a sin of commission, right? Because whenever you walk with God, eventually you get to a place where you're not committing the same sins that you used to when you didn't know him, right? It's sort of 
of like when you repent of your sin and believe the good news, you're repenting from sexual immorality, or you're repenting from drunkenness, or you're repenting from all of these different types of things that people are like, eh, 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 that doesn't like work with God, right? But as you grow in God, it's not so much the sins of commission that really take place or take root in our hearts, but it's the sins of omission, right? It's the sins of omission that sort of, sort of are a snag to our souls, where he says, if you know the good that you ought to do and don't do it, then you sin. And so it's sort of like the things that I, even I fast for breakthrough about are things of omission. God, give me the strength to actually fulfill all that you've called me to be and do in a walk with you. And so um, as we talk about fasting and prayer, again, it's not just a uh, time of consecration once a week uh, throughout the year, but it's getting a proper biblical perspective of it. And so... Um, Again, just as we begin, what we're going to look at today, if you have your Bible, is Judges chapter 20. Judges chapter 20. I'll explain it, um, the context of it in a moment, and then uh, we'll go into it. Um, But just getting perspective, first of all, is understanding that the time of fasting and prayer, and then also what results from it, is a process. Now, what we did is we had this uh, past five days, and what many of you were talking about in your community group, or we talked about at the prayer meeting, or we talked about, you know, throughout um, conversations throughout the week, is that one of the things that God did through this time is that he produces, whether you were uh, in, uh, fasting from food, or maybe you were fasting from your social media. How many people shut down social media a little bit more this past week? Yeah, that was huge, right? Did anybody feel the separation anxiety that occurred? You know, you, <laughs> you actually felt that something was going on, right? It's like there are different types and means of uh, fasting. And what we see is that um, as an example of fasting, I I don't want us to miss the perspective that God's going to give us here in Judges chapter 20, that whether it be for a day, a half day, it be several days or a period of time that's longer like Jesus and Moses whenever they were fasting and praying to get the law of God on the mount or Jesus fasting and praying before he went out into his ministry in the desert, what you see is that it actually is sometimes analogous to our lifelong walk with God our lifelong walk with God. And if you've ever spent a period of time, whether it be like a period of uh, a couple of hours or several days doing this thing, you'll see that there are certain analogies or certain parallels that take place. And I'll explain it this way, even in talking about uh, the past fast of this past week. On day one, you start with something like excitement, hope, and expectation, right? Day one, you go into it and it's like, woohoo, God's going to break through. Can't wait now to eat because God's going to move. Can't wait to shut down Twitter because God's going to move. But then what happened? Okay, no, no. It's sort of like you, you have that excitement in, in your faith, right? And then day two, you're all of a sudden hit with the reality of what you've done. You, you're like, wait a minute. Well, what did I just commit to? Or what, why did I do this, right? And immediately you begin to experience the weakness and challenges of the consecration that you decided to employ, right? Day three, we describe as hump day, right? Hump day where it seems the darkest, literally in the past. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's sort of like you, all the food that was in you is gone. And like, it's sort of like, you're like starting to get a little bit dizzy. It's like hump day where it seems the darkest. And how about this? The battle to continue the consecration is most fierce, I'm talking about in reality and practical measures, right? It's most fierce, where thoughts of compromise creep in, meaning that 
you begin to think to yourself, is it really worth it? Or does God really care? Is there really anything that's going to happen as a result of this? Anybody have to deal with thoughts like that when you have times of consecration to God, okay? Day four, you're over the hump, and it's like, don't give up. That's what the whole theme of the day is. Just don't give up, okay? And then day five is the home stretch, the home stretch. It's like we made it and we're just running for the prize. We see the light at the end of the tunnel and we're just booking it saying, listen, if I could just slap food out of people's hands today, you know what I mean? And just like talk about, you know, how I don't want to see it, smell it, or even be around it, then I'll make it to my goal, right? This is practical reality. If you've ever done anything like this before, these are some of the motions that you go through. In the same way, that is analogous to our life in God, is it not? Whenever we start our walk with God, it's all about the hope and excitement of new life in Christ. All about, woo, Jesus has set me free. I'm free from my sins. I'm forgiven. I'm healed. I'm delivered. Day two, which is maybe a couple months or a couple years into it, it's almost like, whoa, this is not all fun and games. This is all fun and games. Wait, God actually requires something of me, and it's actually a challenge to obey him. Day three, you might have been walking with God for several years. You might be maturing in your faith a little bit. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, this is, th- things are getting dark now, right? The challenges, the fight, the spiritual warfare increases in your life as you continue to press into God. Anybody know what I'm talking about and experienced this before? Okay, the promises of God that he's talking about and we're singing about, the, 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 the point in between where you are and reaching those goals seems to be dark and it's like, I don't even know how I'm gonna get there. Day four, you keep going and it's sort of like, okay, it's too late, I can't give up now. Why? Because I'm part of a church family and too many people depend on me. And if I give up, it's going to help. It's going to affect many other people. I've said that before. I've said, well, golly, I got to show up. You know what I mean? And the thing, and no, I'm, I'm just being honest, you know? And day five is what? You get a little bit of age. You start to salt and pepper out. That's right. You start to salt and pepper out. And then all of a sudden you say, this comes from the wisdom gained through a life committed to God, right? And then at the end of the day, you're just running for the prize, right? You're running for the goal. It's analogous. He gives us these things to give us a picture, a snapshot of a lifetime walk with him. And in the same way, what you see in Judges is a picture of this, that a lot of times we want to see in that week, all that we prayed for come to pass. In that week, all that we were inquiring of God be answered. In that week, all that God was promising to do reach its fruition, but that's not always the process of God. God actually takes us through a process that is analogous to our lifelong walk with him. And if we actually can get his perspective, a biblical perspective, then we'll actually have the encouragement to persevere until he brings about his glorious promises in Christ Jesus. Amen? Judges chapter 20. Let's read it together. It says this. So the people of Israel came near against the people of Benjamin. And I'm going to give you context to this in a moment. The second day. And Benjamin went against them out of Gibeah the second day and destroyed 18,000 men of the people of Israel. So automatically, you, if you know anything about biblical history, you're already scratching your head saying, wait a minute, that's Israel. And I thought Benjamin was one of the tribes of Israel. Why are they fighting against one another? Well, at this 
in this particular period of time, Judges was actually the time before the kings, when God appointed first King Saul and then King David, who was a king after his own heart, to accomplish his will and his purposes, to extend his kingdom all throughout the land. But in the time of Judges, what you see is that there was something particular that was mentioned about the Israelites at that time. It said they had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now, how many people know that that's a dangerous thing? Everybody just doing what's right in their own eyes. How many people know, though, that that's the community and society in which we live today? Everybody just doing what's right in their own eyes. And so what we see is that in this particular instant, we see that the Israelites were doing their own business, falling into sin, falling into judgment, getting delivered from by God whenever they cried out. But they eventually reached a crescendo, a point where they had become so debased in God that their activity and behavior model, modeled or uh, reflected that which took place in Sodom and Gomorrah. If you read, uh, actually, uh, Genesis uh, 19 that took place before that, you'll see that the Benjamites actually ended up um, assaulting and mistreating and then causing the death of a fellow fellow Israelite. It was a concubine of a Levite. And and in response to this, the Israelites and the egregious sin, right? Just like in this past year, 2017, there's been a blow-up of all of the sexual harassment charges and the mistreatment of women in the workplace that should rightfully take place in our nation, right? Anybody happy about that, that that's all coming to light and that things are actually being dealt with? Okay, I hope so. But the point, <laughs> yeah, the, the point is, is that that, that was a, a similar but even more so situation during that time. What happened is they actually mistreated, killed the woman, and then Israel found out about it after the Levite cut the concubine into pieces, um, sent her body parts throughout Israel, and then Israel was like, this sin cannot take place in our land. It cannot continue in our land. So the rest of the Israel, um, Israelite tribes rose up to do battle against Benjamin. And this is what you're seeing here to give you some context. It says that God wants to deal with this sin. The Israelites came against Benjamin and Benjamin went out against them out of Gibeah the second day. And it said the first day they destroyed some of the Israelites and the second day they destroyed 18,000 men of the people of Israel All these were men who drew the sword. Let's continue. Then all the people of Israel, the whole army, went up and came to Bethel and wept. They sat there before the Lord and did something significant and fasted that day until evening. Now that's significant, right? He said they fasted that day until evening. And so you ask yourself the question, well, why did we fast five days, Rollin? You know, it's like, okay, I hear you. Okay, there were many different types of fasting in the scripture, okay? Many different durations, okay. But it says, they fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, for the ark of the covenant of God was there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, ministered before it in those days, saying, Shall we go out once more to battle against our brothers, the people of Benjamin, or shall we cease? Shall we go out once more against the people of Benjamin, our brothers, or shall we cease? 
Because up to this point, they had wanted to deal with the sin that existed in the land. They wanted to deal with the sin of the Benjamites. They had actually even prayed. This is significant. They had actually even prayed the first two times that they went out against the Benjamites. The Benjaminites. They went out and they prayed and said, should we go up against them? The Lord said, yes. The Lord said, yes, deal with this and send these people. And when they went out in obedience to the word of God, they were defeated. You need to read this story. Anybody ever read this story before? They went out twice in obedience to what God says, but they were defeated. But this third time, they prayed and fasted. They prayed and humbled themselves. They prayed and offered both burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And then God said something different than he said the previous two times. They said, should we go out once more to battle against our brothers, the people of Benjamin, or shall we cease? Meaning I've tried. I've tried to obtain what it is that you said is right, God. I've tried to live in it. God, I've tried to actually believe you for your promises. I've tried to stand in them, whether it be about even biblical relationships in a church family. How many people have ever tried to have relationship with other believers before, but felt just as isolated after your attempts as you did whenever you first received a promise that God had family for you? See, all of a sudden, it's sort of like you go out and you try to do the thing you know that's right, but then all of a sudden, God doesn't seem to come through, but then all of a sudden, you do something like fasting, praying, offering these burnt offerings and peace offerings, and I'll speak about that in a moment, and then he says, go up, because this time, this time, in response to this thing that you're doing, I'm going to give them into your hands. I'm going to give them into your hands. Tomorrow, I'm going to give them into your hands. Verse 29. He says, So Israel sent men in ambush around Gibeah, and the people of Israel went up against the people of Benjamin on the third day, the third time around, and set themselves in array against Gibeah as at other times. And the people of Benjamin, this is important now, went out against the people and were drawn away from the city. And as at other times, and as at other times, and as at other times, they began to strike and kill some of the people, meaning the Israelites, in the highways, one of which goes up to Bethel and the other to Gibeah. And in the open country, about 30 men of Israel... And the people of Benjamin said, they are routed before us as at the first. But the people of Israel said, let us flee and draw them away from the city to the highways. And all the men of Israel rose up out of their place and set themselves in array at Baal Tamar. And the men of Israel who were in ambush rushed out of their place from Merageba, And there came against Gibeah 10,000 chosen men out of all Israel. And the battle, the battle was hard. But the Benjamites did not know that disaster was close upon them. 
and the Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel, and the people of Israel destroyed 25,100 men of Benjamin that day. All these were men who drew the sword, so the people of Benjamin saw that they were defeated. What in the world is happening here? All of a sudden, they fasted and they've prayed. They've consecrated themselves. They've done something different. But I want you to imagine this. Use your sanctified imagination. They go out, and then God Almighty says, this time's going to be different because you've consecrated yourself to me, because you've offered these burnt offerings and peace offerings. Let's start there. What was partly different about that? Well, that's the gospel in and of itself, is it not? A lot of times we think about actually just humbling ourselves in fasting and prayer for God to do something different in our lives. But how about this? Part of the different that he wants to do is inside of us, is he wants to change what's going on inside of us. The burnt offering, if you study Israel's sacrificial history, it was one of the most important sacrifices that they made. And it was that which was represented in the person of Jesus Christ himself. Because in Leviticus, what happened is that they would actually have an animal. If you were wealthy, you brought a bull. If you were middle class, you brought maybe a goat or, or a lamb. If you were poor, you brought pigeon or doves, right? And you came with this offering that cost you something. And you were saying, God, I want to actually make atonement for my sin in this moment, and I'm choosing to make this a moment of repentance. I'm laying my hand on the offering that my sin might be atoned for. It might be slaughtered. It might go away because you, a holy God, must be pleased. You, a holy God, must have your justice satisfied for the sin that's committed against you. And I know that when I offer this burnt offering, it's a sign of atonement, that something paid the price for my wrongdoing against you. And what happened is, is that ultimately that was fulfilled in the person of Jesus, right? Jesus was our great sacrifice. Jesus was our atonement. Jesus was our burnt offering where we had an offense toward God. But in our everyday experience, once we pray the sinner's prayer, oftentimes we begin to become lax in the things that actually offend him the things that actually matter to him, right? It's sort of like, remember, we talked about the sins of commission, but the sins of omission are things we overlook. And we want God to break out and break through and do something different in our lives. But he's like, listen, yes, fasting and prayer, but before I get to the new thing in your life, the new hope I'm trying to give you, I want to deal with sin. I want to deal with sin too, right? I want to actually have you come to Jesus and not just have you get rid of the sins of commission that you know are blatant before me, but the sins of omission that the Holy Spirit puts his finger on lovingly time and time again. And he says, hey, listen, I want you to be free of this. I want you to be free of the way that you treat your coworkers. I want you to be free of the way that you treat your spouse that's not in a godly fashion. I want you to be free of the things that you look at that are um, impure and unclean before me and defile your conscience and your spirit. He says, in the midst of fasting and prayer, it's not just you just humbling yourself or consecrating yourself in a way that you're restraining or refraining from something. It's also I'm choosing to cut off that which was separating me from the living God. 
in a relational sense. And the peace offerings were likewise. They weren't something that were part of the litigious sacri- um, sacrifices that were required of the Israelites on an annual basis, but instead they were free will offerings. But they were offerings in thanksgiving, in joy, but they were also offerings that were given when you were desperate for God to move. You were like, God, not only do I ask you to deal with my sin in our context through the person of Jesus Christ as we go to him and his cross day after day after day to be cleansed, but it's also, God, I'm living in a place and I'm making offerings in such a way that I say, I'm desperate for you to break through in my life today. And he said, as you do this, as you posture yourself this way, something different is going to happen in your life. But what happens is that even when he made the promise, it said that they went out and then it said, as before, as before, they went into the battle and the Benjaminites started to strike them down as in the first two days. Have you ever consecrated yourself to God, fasted and prayed, or done something of that nature, and then went back into real life after the dizziness was gone. You went back into real life expecting immediate results, right? Because that's the generation we live in. I want immediate results. If I lift one weight, I want to be cut, (laughs) right? No matter if the weight was a donut, I want to be cut, right? It's like if I do anything, if I place an order on Amazon, I want it immediately. Forget two days, I want it now. How many people are waiting for the drones that'll drop it off same day? Come on, this is the culture in which we live, right? But they went out and it said that as before, this is important for perspective, as before, the same thing that happened before they fasted, before God made the promise, started to happen. And 30 of them, at least 30 of them, got cut down. Let me, let me give you some perspective now. If you fast and pray or consecrate yourself to God, and then you make an effort, a move towards seeing him do something different in your life, and then don't see a change immediately, that is okay. Hear me. That is okay. That doesn't mean that he didn't forget that he forgot about his promise or that he that the time of consecration meant nothing. It means that there's a process of perseverance through which he brings about his kingdom. And what the Israelites had to do was they had to imagine going out into that fight again, seeing 30 of their brothers cut down by the same Benjaminites that God said he was going to deliver them from. And they had to choose in that moment to keep up the fight based on the promise that God had given them, regardless of what they immediately saw. Why? Because when we went down and we saw that they were starting to re- rearrange themselves and rearrange their focus based on, based on the promise that God had made them, they said, all right, this time we're going to ambush them. We're going to lure them out of the city. We're going to send some of our brothers into the city to start ransacking it so that as they're coming out against us, then we're going to take the city in their stead. What began to happen What began to happen is that God himself was saying that, listen, I'm giving you the battle, 
But I'm telling you, it's going to be hard. Woo! (laughs) I'm giving you the battle, but I'm telling you, it's going to be hard fighting. Now, who likes that? No one. (laughs) No one. But this is, I'm, I'm just trying to give us some meat today, okay? Some meat, some actual biblical meat that's not just, ooh, Jesus loves you, this I know, ooh, the Bible tells me so. No, but actually some meat that tells you how do I live this life in God and actually progress in him. It's coming with his perspective that if I consecrate myself, I would have thought that's enough. That's enough. Now, God, it's all on you, baby. Right? Anybody ever feel that way before? If I prayed five minutes today and I consecrated myself in time before the Lord, now God, my days to be blessed. And if I face any challenges, it's on you. But this is what the Bible is telling us. There is a perspective that we've got to have where God's a warrior. But guess what? He's making us warriors too. He said, it's not just enough that you acknowledge who I am. You've got to also acknowledge who I'm making you. And the battle was hard as they went into it. Reminds me of A Wrinkle in Time. My wife's rereading that book in preparation for the Disney movie coming out. Anybody ever read A Wrinkle in Time? Okay, yeah. Don't worry if you don't like reading, the movie's coming. Okay. (laughs) All right. But it was a story... uh, about a young daughter, her father was a scientist. He went to another dimension. There was all this evil and it overtook the, the land and they were trying to repair that, okay? And so the daughter was, her name was Meg Murray. And in trying to find her father, who was this great scientist who, <laughs> it's analogous, and you have to understand that the author of this book, Wrinkle in Time, it was actually a Christian lady who wrote it. And she was trying to write from a Christian perspective, but she was not trying to write a Christian book. She actually said um, that she was trying to write books that were Christian, meaning that the content was Christian. Why? Because she felt that anything in the gospel needed to be shared. It wasn't just for Christians, and if you write a Christian book, only Christians would read it. But if you write a book that was filled with Christian content, then it could affect and impact everybody. And so she was doing this with this perspective, and she had this uh, understanding that if, you, if I just find my father, then everything will be okay. And then in the course of the story, eventually she found her father, and she started to treat her father horribly, rude, disrespectful, right, starting to play the blame game. Anybody ever have those conversations or been in them before where people start to talk about how they're angry with God because of disappointment, how God failed them? in different ways. This is what this uh, little girl was uh, expressing in this great quote. She actually talked about when she actually found her father and had this dialogue with him. She said this. She said, you know what? He said, listen, there's stuff for you to do. You're going to have to be the one to fix things. You thought if you just found me, you know I mean, that everything would be okay, but you're going to actually have to participate in fixing what it is that we're doing. And she actually, in response to him, said, I'm sorry, Father. I wanted you to do it all for me. I wanted everything to be all easy and simple. So I tried to pretend that it was all your fault. That after I finally found you, that because it wasn't easy, it was your fault. Because I was scared and I didn't want to have to do anything myself. Is that not like the Christian walk that we often have? 
We say we fast and pray, but then we don't want to go back into battle again. We don't want it to be hard. We don't want it to actually require or cost us anything. We just want him to respond. Let's get practical. What does that mean? If you have been in relationship with people or desiring relationship, I'm just talking about uh, not even romantic relationship. I'm talking about platonic relationship in the body of Christ. And you felt isolated. The Bible says he gives us a promise that he sets the lonely in families and that there's a friend who will stick closer than a brother if you actually choose to believe him. Now, here's the thing, though. What we know in Chicago is that just like New York, it could be one of the most populated cities, but it could be one of the most lonely cities. Anybody ever say yes and amen to that? It can be a lonely place. And the thing about it is, is that if you've tried before and actually found that you haven't actually seen what it is come to pass that you wanted to, which means like covenant relationships coming through in the locale where you find yourself, then what you can do is be tempted to quit because you think that I fasted, I've prayed, I've consecrated myself, I've shown up, I've done everything that I think is right. And still I'm not seeing the promise that's here for me. And then you want to quit. But what we see according to this perspective is that even as you uh, like pray, you fast and you consecrate yourself to God, it may seem like the thing is going against you that he promised you. But he says, it may be hard, but I have it for you. Persist, persist with a plan, persist with a plan. And what that means practically for somebody like who's looking for a relationship is how about this? Rather than just talking about we should get together sometime, actually commit to a community group. Commit to a place where you know there are other gatherings of believers where you know you can find fellowship. Don't just look for it individually all the time as if people want a navel gaze, but instead go to a place where you say, I know I can find the fellowship of God. Or how about this? Before you leave today, put a date on the calendar. How about that? Put a date on the calendar. Can anybody who was ever engaged say amen to that? Sort of like you got this promise, you got this ring on the finger, and it's like, when are we going to get married? Oh, eventually. It, when, when things fall into place, right? All of these ambiguous terms that mean nothing. And then what happens? Nothing except frustration. But if instead you make it a point to put something on the calendar, you've committed to it. Just in the same way you've covenanted with God, you're covenanting with that person, we're going to progress together. Or how about this? If you've had a call from God in your career to do something for him, and you're looking for that outlet to accomplish his kingdom purposes, but you make no effort to get a job that lines up with it, you're expecting somebody to track you down just because you have a LinkedIn profile. You know what I'm talking about, right? talking about like, listen, they should find me. The anointing of God's on me. They should come like the star should find, make them come to my place in Bethlehem. Listen, nobody's looking for you. You need to just get a job that pays your bills and then position yourself to actually progress in the thing God's called you to. As long as it has something to do with it right? Something to do with the call. Get your feet started. This is MLK weekend, so I'm going to give you an MLK quote. That's right. Before February. (laughs) First of all, what you can learn in times of 
fasting and prayers, he said this, an individual has not started living until he can or she can rise above the narrow confines of his individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. You haven't actually started living until you can actually say, hey, listen, part of my fasting and prayer, part of my consecration is not just about me. And the reason it's a fight is because it matters for somebody beyond myself. And the things I'm going to start working hard to give myself to are are going to impact somebody beyond me. Right? It's like, listen, the fasting and prayer that he talks about is being pleasing to him. Isaiah 58. Please read it. Too long for us to go through right now. Isaiah 58. No, it's not. It's, it's Bible time. Don't even have it in my mouth, but we're opening up. Open up to Isaiah 58. You all have your phones. BibleGateway.com, or actually you can use our app, as we said. It's, the Bible's on there as well. Isaiah 58. He says, you think it's just about a day or two where I'm committing myself to good deeds or good works. But this is what Isaiah 58 says. He says, cry aloud. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask me for righteous judgments, They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. Right? Sort of like in the day of our fasting, we say we went through the motions, but we're still doing the same things we we always have done. We're living for ourselves. We're living for our pleasures. We're living for me, 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 me. What do I want to do? and oppress all your workers. He says, behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight. That's everyday relationship. That's everyday relationship, how you treat people on a daily basis, and to hit with a wicked fist. Maybe you don't go that far. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person, a day or how about five days, (laughs) to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you make, take away rather, the yoke from your midst, the pointing This is practical. I like the Bible. If you take away the pointing of the finger. Anybody been pointing fingers recently? Oh, I'm tempted to almost every day. 
the blame game, right? It's your fault. Yours, not mine. If you take away the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places, and your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. This is the type of fasting that God requires. It's basically us saying, God, I'm coming alongside of you for a greater purpose, something greater than myself, your kingdom purposes. Your kingdom purposes. The fast wasn't just about me. It's about something greater. It's about what you want to do in the earth. God, it's about me joining myself to the gospel, the actual purpose of your son's life, death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. God, I'm trying to wrap myself around that just as I would give myself to a job that actually somehow clicks and unites with the thing that you've called me to do. I'm going to try to, in this year, find myself connected in a way, any way possible, to the thing that your gospel ministry is trying to advance in this earth. And that's when we can actually not only have a perspective that it's going to be a process after the fasting and prayer, that the battle might be hard, but then eventually, as the Benjaminites fell by Israel's hand, that eventually the thing that God promised will come to pass as we persevere. As we persevere. That it means we pray until something happens. Remember that old bracelet? Push, right? You had WWJD back in the day. What would Jesus do? Then all the athletes who weren't even serving God started wearing it. And you were like, man, I need to get a different bracelet. You know, and then you, so instead you got real Christian, you got push. Pray until something happens. That's the attitude that you need to have. Pray until something happens. Believe until the promise comes about. Fight until God actually expresses himself and shows himself strong. One last MLK quote, and then we're done. He said this, take the first step. And I love MLK because MLK was a Baptist minister. Anybody know that? Okay, he was a man of God, prophet to the nation. Okay, but anyway, the point is, take the first step in faith. You don't have to see the whole staircase. Just take the first step. And he's not talking about the fasting and prayer. He's talking about the time after that, right? After, after you've consecrated yourself and after God's made the promise, that's when the actual work begins. That's when he actually says, come out and start building those relationships. Come out and start getting that job. Come out and start relating to your spouse in a different manner so you can see a breakthrough. Just believe for God to move in your kid's life. Do something different, but engage them. Take the first step. You don't have to see how it's going to turn out. You've got to, in faith, take the first step, and God will come through on your behalf. And that's after the time of consecration and prayer. So whenever we see that anything's going to be done in God, it's got to be done through a process. Number one, getting a perspective that's biblical. And then finally, number two, having the perseverance to see it through just like Jesus himself did. He saw the glory that was set for, before him and therefore endured the cross, scorning its shame. And it was obedient until the point of death, even death on a cross. And it was for our benefit, the saving of our lives. And now he says, follow me in my stead. Amen? All right, worship team, let's come on and worship God again, and then we're going to actually leave this place believing God for the fight to already be won because God made a promise, but then as he's made a promise, we're going to position ourselves to fight together, not just as individuals, but as a people, 
until he sees it through. Amen? All right.